Good evening, everyone. Um, I have an important message for Trinidad, for Trinidadians, those who live in Trinidad and especially those who live abroad, about free speech, about understanding free speech. Those Trinidadians who live in the United States, for the most part, do not comprehend what free speech is. And if they don't understand what free speech is and they live over here, you can just imagine how appalling the understanding of free speech is in, is in Trinidad. So, um, basically came up with something that I want to say to you guys. Uh, I think it's very important that you guys comprehend the value of free speech. So here goes. Um, Civilization is a conversation, and moral progress is always the most shocking part of that conversation. Every great moral advance in human history has been met with shocked revulsion by the rulers, by the powers that be, and those who depend on them. The great abolitionist William Wilberforce spent more than three decades making the case for slip to, to end slavery before the British Parliament finally voted to, to outlaw the hideous practice. Over a third of the world ruled by Great Britain. I think we all know this. John Milton wrote his passionate defense of free speech in 1644. Freedom of the press was not achieved in England until 1695. More than half a century later, equal rights for women and minorities, freedom of trade, separation of church and state, the right to divorce, each of these advances was considered, considered an appalling break of virtuous traditions, and they all have one thing in common. One thing, Trinidadians, just one thing, and that one thing is freedom of speech. And in the absence of freedom of speech, these moral advances would never have occurred. The principle of free speech rests on the most fundamental intellectual virtue, which is humility. Intellectual humility. Intellectual humility is the fundamental recognition that we do not have all the answers to all the moral problems in the universe. And any reasonably intelligent student of history sees this pattern over and over, that what is accepted as moral perfection in one moment is turned over as immoral prejudice in the next moment. The idea that the state centralized aggression of coercive power in society should pick and choose acceptable arguments and ideas was commonplace and religious dogma was forced down the throats of the people by the armed might of the government over the course of hundreds of years of religious warfare and over the piles of millions of corpses the separation of government and arguments was created this is what happens the moment that the government has the power to protect people for holding a particular opinion or, or, or making particular arguments, you know, civilization ceases to be a marketplace of ideas and becomes something quite different, Trinidad. It becomes something disastrous. During the Protestant Reformation, some hundreds of years ago, various divergent sects each tried to gain the power of the state and, and its power to compel people to enforce their belief systems on everyone else. 
the Anabaptists, fought the Calvinists, who fought the uh, Zwingalians, who fought the Catholics, and, and so on. People with differing fundamental beliefs about virtue and God and salvation could not live peacefully side by side because the sword of the state was available to cut down the minds of those who disagreed with them. If you didn't get control of the power of the state, your opponents would, and they would use the power against you. So setting out the conflict was not an option. You win, they lose. They win, you lose. No coexistence is, is possible when the state controls ideas. During the religious wars in Germany, which was so vicious and endless, that it was said one could scarcely pass a tree without seeing a, a, a heretic hanging from it. German society became so violent and fractured that the entire age of enlightenment passed Germany by leaving a medieval core in an increasingly technological society, which later erupted in the form of Nazism. The price of losing free speech, guys, is often millions, millions of bodies. In the Communist Soviet Union, the second most bloody revolutionary revolution in history after the communist takeover of China, reform was impossible because dissenters were killed or sent to slave camps in the snow. 70 million souls were murdered during the course of this terrible totalitarianism. Intelligent people with real solutions kept silent. And they reported that the only free speech that existed in Soviet Russia was when they could whisper, whisper it to their wives in the dark, shivering under blankets uh, from the cold and the fear. Nothing could be reformed or improved because the government controlled public conversations and therefore the death and the hunger, the violence and the cold went on for generations until the eventual complete economic collapse. We in the West, particularly Trinidad, do not inhabit a different universe from Nazi Germany or fascist Italy or, or totalitarian Russia or the communist China. The physics are the same. The cause and effect is the same. Human nature is the same. Free speech allows us to, uh, to, to see ahead as, as a society. It makes us aware of potential consequences of immediate decisions mm -hmm. within the axiom of cause and effect. One thing leads to another, which leads to another and, and another, and so on, which gives us pause in our arrogance of, of omniscience where we think we have all the answers. We think we have solved all the problems. We think we, we know everything. We know exactly what to do to fix poverty, to fix bigotry or injustice or inequality. As societies keep moving faster and faster, and boy, is it moving fast. Technology has put a brick on our gas pedals. While outside, the world just grows murkier and foggier. Try driving at high speed in the fog and see what happens. You won't get anywhere. So, Trinidad, Trinidadians, you and I, we're no different fundamentally from the people in the past. Human nature is not some liquid that conforms to the contours of its environment. You know, you, you, you guys are aware that every moral advance you take for granted was viewed as shocking 
and defensive and appalling by the majority of people when they first heard it. Look at slavery. Powerful people owned slaves and powerful people today also own politicians. And if there, if there had not been freedom of speech in the 19th century, I can guarantee you we would still have slavery today because powerful interest groups in society would have silenced the abolitionist arguments and the modern world would, would never have come into being. We have labor-saving devices because labor became expensive labor and labor became expensive because slavery had ended. You guys see how this works? Those who believed in independence, okay, those who believed in independence, slavery, they had, they had tremendous amounts of arguments against uh, ab abolishing slavery. They had 150,000 years of unbroken human slavery. Slavery everywhere, everywhere, all the time. Everyone in, is enslaved everyone uh, and, and at some point or another for 150,000 years. And I guess if, if, you know, if you're a Christian, 6,000 years for you, I guess. But that's a very, very long time. Those people who rose up against that endlessly high cliff, a high cliff of thorny and destructive history and said, hey, I don't care how high it is. I don't care how dangerous it is. I don't care whose feelings get hurt. We're going to climb this cliff and we're going to drag humanity up with us to this sunlit heights of world with a world without slavery. Most people, the abolitionists were, were, you know, crazy, were considered crazy and evil. And, and, and it took decades to even begin to change people's minds. So Trinidad, I ask, what about you? Trinidadians, are, are you entirely sure that you are on the right side of history? That you're willing to allow the government to kill ideas that shock and offend you? If you are, well, let's just say you have a lot more, more self-confidence than I do. I don't think that's a good thing. I guarantee you that Trinidad is not complete as a civilization. As a people, Trinidad has not completed for all time, the long time of that thorny wall to, to a better existence. I also guarantee you that whatever comes next Whatever moral argument is, is next proposed, it would be shocking to you. It will seem outlandish and immoral and appalling, all threatening, because that is the nature of new moral arguments. This is how it is. This is how it works. People should not be bought and sold with the land, boom, and serfdom. People should not be bought and sold like livestock, boom, and slavery. And yeah, I know I've been, you know, the most avid anti-feminist, but even women should have the same legal rights as men. Government enforced segregation is wrong. Every single one of these arguments was violently opposed when it first emerged. Imagine if those who opposed them had access to the power of the state to squelch criticism, to punish people for making a moral argument for making a moral critique, for risking social ostracism and suicide in the honorable pursuit of dragging mankind up the thorny cliff 
to a better place. Trinidadians, are you guys really that confident that you have all the right answers for all time? That you are willing to use the power of the state to smash the marketplace of ideas? Are you? Are, are you guys sure? That is an insane, grandiose position to have. I don't know what the future holds for Trinidad, and I don't know whether a shocking idea has merits or is, or is false unless I have the chance to examine it, to debate it, to review it, and if I find it egregious to oppose it in the marketplace of ideas. Think about the most egregious thing you can conceive of right now. I know I could come up with dozens of things, and, and surely... Surely we all want these terrible things we could come up with, these bad arguments to be roundly rejected by everyone around you and, and your society, right? At least I hope so. Like we want rape and murder and all forms of violent crimes to be rejected. For if they aren't rejected, then what the fuck of, kind of society is it to be living in? Now, if you use the power of the state to suppress those arguments under, you know, against murder, rape, and child marriage, etc. Guess what, people? They don't actually disappear from the face of the earth. Rem take, for instance, remember how the 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 uh, the government was going to, to get rid of illegal drugs in in society and government. You know, the truth is, the government can't even keep drugs out of prison. So, so even if free speech becomes a prison, those bad ideas will still be everywhere. And it is important to understand, Trinidadians. That, that, that people are going to get a hold of bad ideas no matter what. And that's primarily due to the internet. So, so you have two choices. Either these bad arguments, these offensive ideas can be dragged into you know, the social spotlight by the most competent intellectuals in your society and exposed for the nonsense or, or nastiness they are. Or these bad ideas can be banished from the public sphere by force, which means... They don't really go away. It means they live on, on the internet, unexamined, unexposed, unopposed, like, like a brain-eating zombie, right? And, 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 and those in your society who are most susceptible to the, to the seething indoctrination of bad ideas will, will remain undefended by your, your most powerful intellects. Okay, inoculation. Inoculation, you know, the, the, uh, the idea that, a, that a, a managed exposure to dangerous viruses grants immunity to, like, the illness itself in the future. Think, think of that for a second. If bad ideas are banned, they go underground and infect susceptible minds more powerfully and broadly than, than they ever could. If they had been sub subjected to open critique and scrutiny which requires absolute freedom of speech. Think of the young ones. Think about our children, our kids, and how susceptible they are. Those minds are still forming. What, what are they going to say when, when you ban an idea? Oh my God, here was, here's an argument the authorities banned. I mean, I don't know how many of you, for the last time you guys, when was the last time you guys read the story of the Garden of Eden? But uh, I'm sure you understand the power of the forbidden fruit. 
Young, mind, young minds will, will roam the badlands of bad ideas, unprotected, unguided, and impressionable. This is how, this is how you, you, you spread bad ideas the most rapidly, making them enticing, making them appealing, making them exciting. Just go ahead and ban them and refuse to engage in them. Drive them around. Drive them underground. If you oppose bad ideas, and, and let's be honest, who doesn't? Free speech is your only protection. And I mean that literally, dude. It is your only protection. So, so, so think about the kids. When bad ideas are openly discussed and analyzed in society, in Trinidadian society, they lose their power to convince. No one argues, you know, about slavery anymore because we've had that debate and it's settled. It's bad. Bad ideas are not airborne viruses that infects, you know, you against your will or against your reason. We become stronger and better people through our exposure to the analysis of and the rejection of bad ideas. We learn tolerance through the analysis of bigotry. If we ban bigotry, we cannot know the virtue of tolerance because the virtue must have some form of opposition in order to be considered a virtue. I, I can't praise my, uh, my own willpower if I uh, stop eating cheesecake and I'm stranded on, an, a, on a deserted island with no cheesecake. You know, it, it, it makes you... It makes me wonder and think about, you know, what, what would life be without temptation? Is a life without temptation, is there any, any virtue at all? These are things that we need to think about. So, so here's another thing. Let's say we run to the state for protection from wrong think. What are we saying about the, the quality of the education we have received from the state? Because trust me, guys, it's all government education. Okay, they determine what you learn. The state controls the education of our children for at least 12 years, usually more or much more than that. And uh, if, if we are mortally frightened by mere arguments or mere ideas or our mere criticisms to the point that we return and we run to the government for protection from words as if they were like, I don't know, some limb shredding predator. What does that say about our education? And as I always say, your government is a reflection of you. So, so guess what, guys? Guess what? The truth is, life involves conflict. Life involves differences of opinions. Life involves negotiation, which means that being successfully alive requires that you know how to think Critically, and I'm sorry, guys, there's not a lot of critical thinking going on in Trinidad. There's not a lot of critical thinking going on in Trinidad. There's not a lot of being able or knowing how to evaluate an argument, how to find an argument's flaws, how to counter it, how to oppose it, how to verbally drive that argument to the inconsequential fringes of society. There's none of that at all. It's just belligerence. And, and if you don't know how to do stuff like that and you, you decide to run to the government to protect you from the need to do that, 
you are forgetting something very, very important. You guys are forgetting that it was the government that failed to train you how to think critically in the first place. It failed to train you how to think critically and, and how to make an argument, how to oppose bad arguments. And, and you have to ask yourself, like, should we run to the government to protect us from the failures of the government? Come on. And, and just to merely ask the, that question is to answer it. So improve education. Teach people to think. It's not that Johnny cannot think. It's not that Johnny doesn't think. Johnny does not know how to think. Johnny thinks that his that, that thinking is using his feelings, his emotions. Right? So we need to improve education, teach people to think, and don't legislate against the bad effects of bad education. That drags Trinidad down. And, and Trinidad is a democracy, right? Or, or a republic, right? You and I are allowed to vote, which means the government accepts that we are able to process and evaluate highly complex and often uh, data-driven arguments for the best course of our society. Should, should some politician pop up and say, hey, we should do these 32 things to fix the economy and education and the deficit even though nobody talks about the deficit anymore, and all these other things, and I have the real legal and moral solutions to all. These highly complex and seemingly intractable shit, I know all the problems, social problems, I know how to fix all of them, and, and so you should vote for me, right? And, and he's offering, he or she is offering careful analysis and evaluation, and you know, here's my policy proposals, etc. I mean, come on, man. It's not like you're you just going to go vote for him or her because he has better hair or he's good looking, right? Or she's good looking, right? That would be fucking crazy irresponsible. Uh, although this kind of brings to mind women and voting for Justin Trudeau. But hey, that's for another time. So let's say you're allowed to vote or rather you're encouraged to vote. It's because you presumably have the capacity to evaluate and process complex social, economic, and social, political, and moral arguments. If you can do that, and that processes the foundation of Trinidad's political civilization, then why the hell can't you evaluate and reject a bad argument? Or, 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 or I'm sorry, mean words, things that offend and make you hurty inside. Okay, I, you know, and I think I just made an enormous case for why women ought not to vote or should not be allowed to vote. But anyway, if we if we can't evaluate and reject a, a bad argument, then then how the hell can we responsibly use a right to vote? Now, think about what it is I'm saying, because this is a really good argument. As a matter of fact, it's a two for a two for one, actually. Keep. Keep the right to vote, which means you can evaluate complex proposals and choose among them wisely, which also means that you get to get to keep free speech. There's free speech ideas and arguments that may shock you, that you may not like. Just as ideas and arguments have shocked everyone throughout history, everywhere, all the time. Now, now 
ask yourselves this, right? Which which of the people do you guys think want to run to the government to protect them from criticism? Do you think it's people with good arguments who who are good at defending them or or do you think it might be just people with bad arguments who are bad at defending them? I know, I know. I know. You guys are probably saying uh, he's going to say women and all this. And yeah, you'll be right. They're excellent examples. But let me ask you another question. Do you think that it helps with bad arguments? It helps the people with bad arguments, sorry, or or who are bad at defending them to protect them from criticism? Do you think, you know, that mechanism actually helps them? If you want to protect him or her from criticism using the power of the state, aren't you saying that such people cannot improve, cannot get better, or that their arguments are so irredeemably bad that they can never be rationally defended? Ought not these people, shouldn't they have the right to vote? I think, I, I personally think people can get better. Either their arguments can improve or their debating skills can improve. So, so I have to ask you, Trinidad, why do you think they can't? Or do you think they can't? And if so, if you think they can't, are you bigoted? And I want you guys to look inward and think about it, really. Just really reflect on this. And the truth is, we're always going to have disagreements in society. And that is actually healthy. It's so healthy. This, this is what is needed. This is, this is what, what spurs uh, uh, logic and reason. And there are three ways that human beings can resolve disagreements. And only one of them is any kind of real solution. Okay? We can negotiate, we can use violence, or we can withdraw from a disagreement. Let me see if I could come up to... Let's say you want a job, but you're offered... But you're not offered enough money. And if you want more money, you can negotiate for more, for more money before getting hired. Or you can take the job... And, and then steal from your, from your employer or get another job. If you want to go on a date with a woman, you, ask, you, can, you can ask her out. If she says no, you can gracefully move on or you can kidnap her, right? Negotiation, violence, or withdrawal. That's all we have as human beings in a civilization. And civilization is based on the principle of refusing to use violence against people who disagree with us. If you want to buy a house, but you can't agree on some price, you don't get to become a squatter. You don't get to just move in anyway. I mean, that would be like a total breakdown of civilized standards, right? Well, at least I hope so for you guys. You guys can understand this. Think of the most treasured moral perspective, right? Your more, most treasured moral perspective. I could think of mine. And, and you have to ask yourself, how old is this moral perspective? How new is it? And the truth is, it's probably not more than a few decades old. Now, imagine that there was no free speech when the ethics you now treasure was first introduced, so, so, which was pretty much very recently, right? Now, imagine those who opposed your treasured values were in control of the government, which controlled everyone's language. What would you believe now if 
you know, there was no free speech in the past. Who would you be? What would you stand for? If people in the past had not been able to forge new values, to communicate new ideas, to argue for new morals, what the hell kind of world would it be? If the powers that, that were had not let them be disagreeable or offensive, who the hell would you and I be? What would we, be, we believe? You wouldn't even know the answer to that, to that question. I don't know the answer to that question. People disagree with me all the time, and that's good. I'm scarcely right all the time. And it, 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 it's, it's actually quite necessary to have people disagree with us. And because I have the humility of knowing that while I do have the most excellent methodology of rational philosophy, I'm far from perfect in every conclusion. I really am. The idea, the idea I would, that, that I would call the police because someone disagreed with me or insulted me or was mean to me, dude, I can't comprehend it. I can't fathom myself actually getting to that place. It's so, it defeats everything. It is a low blow, you know? And personally, I, I think the police are needed for slightly more important things, more important than hurt feelings. People in desperate need who, you know, probably will not be helped by the police because someone got upset, someone felt hurty inside. Do you want that on your conscience? I don't. I sure as hell don't at all. Now, I may be wrong in any argument and in any perspective. I may be wrong and it goes without saying. And if we are wrong and if we value truth, how, how really, how do we want to be corrected, right? We want, the truth is we want to be corrected by better arguments, by rational persuasion, by reason and evidence. I don't know, Aristotelian logic. By, by anything except the power of the state, which will never correct us, but merely silence and punish us. And Trinidad, beware, beware, my friends. If, if you grant the state the power to silence speech, you cannot and you should never be so naive as to think that you will always be in control of that power to silence thought, to crush opinions and destroy arguments. That power once that power is loosed on society, will not remain under your control for a long time. Never ever give the power you would not trust your worst enemy with. Just don't give it to them. So, let me see what's going on in the chat room. Majority of you probably have uh, questions. First sensible thing I've heard in a long time. Thank you very much, Samantha. Thank you very much. And Ms. Prasad, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so so for me, for me, there there are tons of ideas in the world that I find reprehensible. But you know what? Those ideas which I truly hate should have free and open access to the marketplace of ideas. Because if I surrender to hate, and if I surrender to the thirst of power, 
you know, the thirst to silence those who disagree with me, who criticize me, and even those who people who insult me, then I would have created an unholy precedent to my society. You know, I, I would have introduced force into a conversation. Can I guarantee I will remain in control of the power of the state for all time? No. Can I guarantee that my son will never be punished by the power I have unleashed in the world? Never to be used against him. And, and, and once, once loosed, that power, that power to control speech is a summoned malevolence that rarely returns to, to where it comes from. Free speech is not balance. It is not a continuum. It is binary. It is on and off. Free speech is everything, Trinidadians. There is no such thing as free speech but or, 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 or free speech except. Free speech is free speech or not at all. And I'm going to repeat this. There's no such thing as free speech but or free speech except. It's either free speech and free speech is free speech or nothing at all. Free speech is intellectual humility. Free speech is moral courage. Free speech is confidence in your ideas, your abilities. Free speech is civilization because the alternative to free speech is state censorship, which leads to vicious infighting for control over the apparatus of censorship, which leads to the to the flight of the most creative and the most intelligent members of your society. Hello? I'm not coming back to Trinidad, no. Not unless there's a, there's a social upheaval. Not unless Trinidad undergoes a renaissance. And, and when the cage door starts closing on free speech, all the people who love freedom, they just sprint for the exit. And, and, and state censorship leads to social stagnation to where the least intelligent and therefore often the least humble, they get to crow and cheer and shake their legal weapons from the high pinnacles of a civilization that is literally crumbling under their feet. The alternative to free speech is coercion. It's stagnation, decay, fear. And, and, and the general dumbing down of everyone and everything and the elevation of those, those people with the very worst, worst ideas. These people move right to the top of society with no way to oppose them. To be quite honest, that's all I have to say. And I truly hope with all my heart, I will continue to have the right to say it. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a good night.